We're rapidly approaching the one-year anniversary of the Builder's Table podcast. And in honor of that, we're doing something a little different this time. Featuring some of the best sound bites from our past year of content, we hope you enjoy and thank you to all of our guests. So we're, we're throughout all the state of Indiana, um, and we have different types of school system partnerships, um, whether it's a public school, private school, home school, charter schools. Um, so our programs um, aren't by no me are are once aren't one specific type of partnership. We have different types of partnerships. Um, but what what we do, let's let's just take the public school, for instance, we'll take the Indiana curriculum that's laid out for construction type training for CTE programs at the high school public school system. We'll take that, we'll integrate that into our curriculum, which is part of our apprenticeship and then part of our um, our community college program as well. We'll integrate that all into one um, and we'll come into the high schools and say, you can. we can either come into your facility and we'll teach this program as one of your programs, or you can send these students to our facility and we'll do the same thing. So acting a, a lot like a traditional career center would be, except we're obviously only enhanced on the construction training site. Um, the advantage that these schools have with us is since we're teaching per the state standards um, and the state curriculum, those high school students are, are gaining and getting all the high school requirements um, and graduation requirements they need uh, for their graduation pathways within our state. Um, so we're essentially coming and standing beside these high schools and saying, we'll partner with you and we'll provide this training for you. Um, so you can kind of focus on the other avenues while you kind of let the industry professionals focus on, on construction specific type training. I built one tree house and the main thing was I realized how I learned. I finally learned how I learned. And I could teach how I learned. And when I taught people how I learned, it would work. And but when you when you graduated number 62 out of 63 in a rural West Tennessee high school, and you don't have a degree and you're trying to, to sell a math curriculum into schools, it's a tough sell. And so, I mean, it wasn't working at all. And I had worked at this, honestly, for seven years. I moved back to my farm. I made $6,800 one year. I made 8000 and next percentage-wise. That's a big jump. But like in real life, it's not. And then I picked up Home Depot as a national sponsor. And so I ended up working, doing, we build houses with students and teach applied mathematics. We build houses that can be built in about two and a half hours, disassemble and built again. And I'm trying to teach the mathematic principles around that building. But I was trying to do the math first. So I just kind of went backwards and started doing with the house first. And all of a sudden I picked up Home Depot as a national sponsor, Georgia Pacific. I started getting like Walmart, Coke, and Eastman Chemical. And I mean, I've worked, we've raised over $6 million in corporate sponsorships because companies need people to do the math. I've worked with ABC chapters around the country. I've worked with AGC. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that need the kids to know the math. And so that was really how I kind of got started with it. And um 
you know, we were working all over the country, but I was having a hard time sticking the math application part. And then that just really started working. I think one of the ones that kind of took me to my career path now, uh, there was a hospital that uh, they told me I was going to be in charge of the layout and, you know, stack of drawings about three inches thick. And, and uh, one of my first jobs, I was going to be in charge of the layout and I start flipping through the drawings and it's a three leaf clover that's all elliptical with a base course down below. That's, uh, you know, a standard grid pattern down, down on the first level. And then that all intertwined with the three leaf clover that came up above. But when you got into the actual patient rooms and operating rooms and everything else up there, there were no straight lines anywhere. There's no, almost no, no way to actually lay out anything with a tape measure if you wanted to. And so I ended up uh, training under a couple surveyors on another hospital project for about a month and a half and uh, got to my project and started to redraw everything in, in kind of a, a makeshift CAD program back in then that we, they, we shift out into the total stations. And I drew the, drew the set of uh, grid lines out for that base course. And by the time I got done, it was three and a half inches short because the architect had rounded up to the closest quarter inch. So when you add them all up and then you went through and actually went through the plans and did it by the dimensions they gave you, it didn't come out. So I ended up having to write a bunch of RFIs, the architect saying, Hey, this doesn't match, doesn't match, doesn't match. What do you want me to do? And finally they're like, okay, we said you couldn't have the drawings, but here are the AutoCAD drawings, just build it just like this. So that's how I got into AutoCAD and BIM and we 3D modeled that uh, project with some of our MEP groups and, you know, made sure everything fit in mechanical systems and laid out the project with the total station. And we ended up finishing a month early and handed over, I think, a million dollars back to the owner. And, uh, you know, we had limited concrete supplies. We had to hit our concrete for every Thursday or you didn't get concrete for another week to two weeks. And it just went like a dream. So... It was phenomenal. And after that point, I never uh, never wanted to go lay out another project any other way. So really emphasized BIM and 3D modeling and BDC processes. And took that over to um, a couple of projects at Cheyenne Mountain Zoo. So it was it's, uh, one of the top 10 zoos in the country. It's built on the side of the mountain right next to uh, NORAD. And so a really cool location and cool, uh, cool exhibits. And got to build um, a couple of different projects over there. But uh, the elephant exhibit was really unique and really intense and uh you know you have to build enclosures that'll keep a bull elephant from charging through and you know trampling masses of children and and, uh, family members right so you always kind of keep that in the back of your mind as a superintendent layout professional but uh that was a really neat one as well so no straight lines on that one either I was in the United States Army. I started off in the infantry and um, I pursued a, a very successful career in the uh, United States military. Um, I went down range to I served in Afghanistan and, um, you know, really, really saw and met a lot of great people, a um, lot of great experiences. And uh, I came back, unfortunately, after my tours of service and uh, I uh, I was medically retired out of the uh, the military. Um, I was uh I, I could no longer do my job due to uh, physical injuries. And uh, that is, that's the moment in my life where I really, really dove into the construction industry. And I recognized that, you know, I could take my leadership skills that I had in the military and I could transition them into the construction uh, force because, you know, it's not how it used to be. We're losing, you know, greats now and we're not having them be replaced into a leadership position. So 
whenever I recognized that, I, uh, I really saw a need in my purpose again uh, that I could give back. And, and it really, really helped with my uh, transition. And it's funny, I tell my students or anyone that will listen to me that the NCCR changed my life for the better by giving me my purpose back as a veteran transitioning into the civilian workforce again. First part I heard about Great Basin College, I was working at one of the local gold mines, Newmont Mining Corporation at the time. And I was working in the operations department, started as a laborer and worked in the operations department. Then the opportunity came along where they were short on, they needed diesel mechanics, they needed electricians, and they needed millwrights. And so I had put in a bid and got into one of the millwright programs that they were doing and so part of our training there was we worked three days out at the mines and then we went to school on Thursday and Friday for about a year and a half 16 or 18 months something like that and we did the credits through Great Basin College to get uh, well we got a certificate at that time but later on I went back after I started at the college and got my associate degree. I finished up the general ed stuff, but back then we just got the certificate and got the, the classroom knowledge and then got the hands-on knowledge working for years and years at the mining companies after that. So um, as far as education goes, I've always been intrigued ever since I had kids on teaching people stuff. I coached my kids in sports for many, many years. I coached all three of my kids all the way up through their high school careers. And heck, I even helped with the high school teams in most sports. So uh, it was a natural fit to go from coaching like that into education because you're always teaching. You're always talking about how things, how to improve stuff and how to figure stuff out. So that was an easy transition for me into into the teaching field. And now that I've been doing it for 15 years, yes, I could make a lot more money in industry, but I love the fact of teaching and I, I enjoy the fact of seeing students learn. And I call it the light bulb moment. When you see that light bulb come on above their head that they find they figured out exactly what you were talking about. That's, that to me is the, the most precious part of teaching. Uh, the good fortune of being a venture partner in two venture capital funds, and I'm also advising um, eight other startups in the construction and uh, tech industry. So I've got a unique view to know what's out there. And, you know, the great thing is, is there's there's plenty. There's a lot of people coming in to try to solve the problems. Um, there's not as many as I would like to see coming from within the industry that actually have the knowledge and the and, the, and that personal um, experience with the problems they're trying to solve. But the great thing is there's just a lot of people trying to do good things. And so there's no shortage. And it's always amazing to, to see the creative, uh, you know, ideas that are trying to really revolutionize and disrupt and change the status quo in some areas. Um, sometimes it's a little bit too far out there and, you know, but the good thing is it takes a lot of ideas to come up with the very best ideas. And so uh, I think it's all super positive for the industry. And, um, you know, I do whatever I can to help support 
anybody coming into the industry from a technology perspective come in and be effective in 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 what they're building and and how how it's catering to the users and the needs within the industry um, accurately um, or on point, I should say. So um, there's there's just literally no shortage. I, don't, I can't put my finger on any one. Um, you know, that's the good thing. And the bad thing at the same time is the industry has gotten to a place where, you know, we're so far behind on so many aspects, but that in itself is the opportunity. And I think your point <clears throat> earlier, uh, just a minute ago, is really valid in terms of there's there's the new generations and the baby boomer generations retiring. And we've got the the new generations that are just, you know, they were born with an iPhone. And so they expect, you know, they expect technology. They don't expect Excel spreadsheets. And so not only is there an efficiency advantage to technology, et cetera, and what we're building at Concentric specifically, but, you know, you need to think about it as a recruitment and a retention tool because you're not going to get the best of the best or anybody at all if you're going to stay uh, stuck in kind of the old ways that new generations expecting and needs way more. And the good thing is, if you do have it and you put it in their hands, I mean, I've seen firsthand, it's, it is, you know, it's amazing to the bottom line, you can just see the things that can be done today that I wasn't even thinking about when I was starting my career. And, you know, the idea of how you could think about that or calculate it or do it. So it's a huge win for the company because you can leverage and unlock uh, what these young people are bringing to the table. And, you know, in turn, they expect to have those tools at their fingertips. So it is definitely a win-win. Um, but if you don't utilize the technology and bring that to the table, then uh, a lot of these companies are going to get behind the eight ball very fast and there's no way to catch up. And they will, I think, you know, die as a business um, and die, you know, the old ways will die. tell my students all the time when I was in high school I was told if you don't finish high school you're never going to amount to anything and now that same message is if you don't go to college you're never going to amount to anything well I'm saying come to college but your pathway through college does not have to look like a traditional pathway it could be a trade seeking college um you know it's it's it, the way the construction is also portrayed in commercials or and on TV, you know, it's usually always the um, men catcalling a beautiful woman as she walks by or something like that. So it kind of has that negative condensation behind it. And also, you know, we're, you know, we have to overcome the, the, um, you're too expensive, you know, when contractors are, and, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's a lot of money to get things done and done right and done nice, you know. So we have a lot of steps that you have to kind of overcome on that side first and then get to the younger generation that is, you know, born with technology in their hand and they have everything at their fingertips. And we're saying, that's great, but there's this whole other avenue. And one of the things that I try to tell everybody all the time is, you know, one day you'll pay as much money for a plumber as what you do in a term. Because as less and less people get into this trade, you know, someone's still got to do it. You know, we live in Florida. If our, our air conditioner goes out tonight, 
you know, I'll sell my firstborn child and get my pieces back going, right? So, you know, you've got to kind of, you know, think of those things. And then you look at longevity, right? As technology changes, some of those jobs even early on are now becoming obsolete because technology is changing and advancing. Um, construction technology has made leaps and bounds in construction, but it still takes, you know, men and women to make that work. So, you know, we've been building we've been building structures since ancient times, right? We've only been working with computers the last 60, 70 years, right? So when you start looking at it like that, these jobs aren't going away anytime soon. Um, but you being a software engineer or whatever the case, those are those are needed jobs. But as AI becomes more popular and things like that happen, what's that going to look like? What's it going to look like 10 years from now? So, you know, getting these people in and then realizing that not everyone learns the same way. I'm a tactile learner. I've got to do it with my hand. So these these kids in high schools and middle schools that have been labeled as, you know, not being able to learn or troubled kids, it, it could be very simple that they just don't learn that. And they need to have something in their hand. And they, some of those become some of your best trades workers because they finally found something that clicks and they're moving and they're doing things constantly. So I think we have to do a better job as a society. I think our education system has to look at it and say, you know, we need carpenters. We need mechanics and praise those job careers just as well as you would someone who wants to go in and become a doctor or a lawyer. We need everybody, right? Everybody needs to do it. I tell our students all the time as well, like, you know, men and women that pick up the trash at my house, thank God for them because, you know, what would we what would we look like if we didn't have those people? So, you know, and you have other countries that look, you know, if you go over to Germany and places like that, they hold their trade professionals to a much higher standard than what we do here in the States. So I think it's it's a you know, it's, we use the analogy of it's, it's like turning a cruise ship around in a bathtub, right? It's hard to do, but, you know, it's going to take some time, but we'll figure it out eventually. So that's kind of where we're at with it. We've got to get society to change their mind, their thinking on how trade programs are. Thank you again and join us for the next episode of The Builder's Table.